Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground. This is episode 13, Booze, Parades, Pinching, and Wearing Some Green. Yes, we're talking about St. Patrick's Day today. We're broadcasting live, well, live for us, from the Bonhoeffer House Global Headquarters in Radford, Virginia. We're in Jesse's headquarters today, and I drew, drove through a blizzard, the That's blizzard right. of Blacksburg, uh, across a mountain, and it was sun shining in Radford. It's beautiful if, here. I don't know if that's prophetic, uh, but who knows? It's uh, always sunny in Radford. Oh. And welcome to the Bonhoeffer House Global Headquarters. It's important that you remember that we're global. You're global. We're global. We have someone in Canada. You're in Canada. Shout out to Craig. Weren't you talking to Craig? I was talking to Craig yeah. this morning, that's right. Yeah, he's up in Canmore outside of Calgary and uh, planting a church up there. And so he and his wife Zoe took us global. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And I walked in, and they were talking about whether when weed is legal, you can smoke it or not as a Christian. We're not going to talk about that today. Maybe Another a, episode. Maybe a future episode of why we should not smoke the doobies. Uh, but today, we will be going in on St. Patrick. Of course, uh, St. Patrick uh, you know, is called a saint because of his r- relationship to a Roman Catholic holiday, but certainly it has evolved into something else, uh, cultural as well as still maybe religious significant for some. And then certainly our, our thesis uh, here today will be that there's something for us, uh, even as Protestant, historically Protestant people, uh, to learn from this Irish person. Now, Jesse and I are both kind of from Irish heritage. We'll share that a little bit in the morning. But our segment today that we're going to start off with is our uh, ruts uh, and butt segment. Ridiculous things under the sun and beautiful things under the sun. We're going to be a little lopsided uh, today and have a little more beauty. More butts. Uh, more butts than ridiculous ruts. Uh, but I did want to start out with uh, an, an article that I came across that I do think is ridiculous. It was uh, on Inc.com, I guess, which is a business kind of website, and um, we'll put this in the show notes for you. But basically, the article is somewhat titled, So You're Smart But Not Rich, Eye-Opening New Scientific Study Tells You Why. And basically what this article says is that, hey, we're all good enough and all smart enough, but we're all not rich enough. Why are some people rich and some aren't? And it basically uh, came down to, uh, in their opinion, luck. Um now, this kind of set me off in wanting to tear my hair out because... I always knew I was unlucky. Yeah, you're unlucky. We're, we're both unlucky. I know I'm brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The, and, the, and not rich. The circumstances of life where the odds were not ever in your favor. Yeah, it's not fair. Well, the, the article, I'm not going to get into a deep analysis of that article, uh, but I am going to get into the concept that it brought up into my, in my mind about this concept of luck anyway. Because in my opinion, Jesse, I don't know what you'll think about this. I don't think luck does anything. Um, in fact, when we say we're lucky, uh, I think we could say that we're just uh, ignorant of actual causes. We don't know why this happened, but it somehow feels better than bad or fortuitous. And so we say, oh, I'm so lucky. But it doesn't say anything about why this or that actually happened. And so for, for all of you out there, if you want me to rip my hair and smash my he- head into a wall... Just start attributing causative power to luck. <laughs> now I don't, I don't think you should. You're get like weird. a you're like yeah. a grumpy old man. I am a curmudgeon about this thing. Get off my lawn with I your luck. My, I tell my kids like, hey, we were lucky. And I'm like, no, you weren't lucky. Something happened. You know, you can't describe it, and you're and you like it, so you say that's lucky. Um, if you say you're unlucky, something just happened, and, and you don't like it. And so I think we can get a little bit more descriptive about the world, and certainly. Uh, the way we interact. But so, here's here's yeah. the thing. I agree with you, but I still say lucky. I do too. Good luck. Okay. 
take luck. Take. <laughs> good, good care. Care for the luck. Yeah, take take your luck. So keep your luck. Keep your chance. I will take real causes. Now, sometimes we don't know them, though, right? Only God does. But we call um, that we call that providence, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah good, you know, good providence. I, I've seen people say that, and that's just weird. It's weird, ingrown Christian weirdo stuff. Hey, top providence to you. That, yeah, come on, stop being weird. Nobody understands you. All right, moving on to beautiful things, uh, Jess. You want to jump up? They're both related to sports. Uh, oh today. yeah, yeah. So my alma mater, Radford University. We won our first NCAA tournament basketball game last night, and it was beautiful. Uh, you know how fun it is to watch your little tiny school that everyone calls Radcliffe or Radner <laughs> or Bradford. Highlander 2, the quickening or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we won a game in the NCAA. Now, it was a playing game against another 16 seed, but we looked good. From we were like well coached. Long Island Long, or something? It was Long, Long Island University in Brooklyn. Yeah, so both teams are having their like decade uh, team game of the decade. For That's that. right. So this was our third time in the tournament. We were in an '09, and I think it was '97 before then. Both times we were destroyed. Right. Uh, this time we came out, we played well, you know, and we had a good run. We won our tournament, our 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 Big South tournament at a, on a buzzer beater, wow. three pointer against Liberty, the Christians. Yeah, we beat the Christians. The flame, you beat the flame. And we, so we we're running this, it's just a fun little run here in the tournament. Now we've got Villanova. Hey, you beat them. Well, if we beat them. If we beat them. They might be the best team in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, Especially yeah. Especially uh, University of Virginia is the number one team, but they're, one of their key players is out for the tournament now with a mm. broken wrist. Oh, wow. UVA? UVA, that's oh, right. Wow. So uh, uh, Hunter off the bench broke his wrist, so he's out. So Villanova might be the top team. We've got them, and who knows? You know, who knows? I hear if you beat them, who you might have in the next round. Is it the Hokies? Oh, is that right? I, I don't think know. we have to look at the brackets, but I think it might be the Hokies. Could be a new River Valley slam down battle showdown. Yeah, they beat us this year, <laughs> but who knows? Amen. Well, hey, good luck to the Highlanders. Beautiful. All that. I think some of those guys can even dunk. Should be a good. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a great one last night. You watched it was on Sports Center today. Amen. Ed Polite Jr. Two handed slam my, is sweet. My son will see it. My son is into sports talk stuff now, and he'll see it and see people talk about. It. He likes Stephen A. and he likes Colin Howard and the Herd and all those guys. Well, our second beautiful thing uh, comes from the Olympics. Um, this is something I ran across on Twitter, and I, I might even try to pull this audio off for us here in a second just by pumping this into our mic. But there was a, the first time ever um, one of these sports that nobody knows about or watches where they, you, know, you, you, you do things that uh, you throw stones or you rode around on skis and shoot guns. These are sports. Uh, but the United States, the America, uh, the United States of the America actually won a gold medal for the first time ever in cross-country skiing. Now, the thing about this that was fantastic was the the call, the, the, the guy doing the commentary obviously was a big fan, probably a guy who participated in the sport and knew the history. And the, the call he gave on this was just, if you're a sports person, you got to go to, I'll put it in the show notes, NBCOlympics.com. They have the video. And it's just uh, ecstatic. And so I'm going to try to get a little audio and see if we can play this. I here. haven't heard this. I'm excited oh, to gosh. hear it. Looks like we're going to have an ad from Toyota. We're giving Toyota free advertising Ad? here. We'll build them. But it looks like it's okay. Here we go. So close for the U.S. on so many occasions. Now moving up on the inside. They're in the second place. They're all completely gassed. They've given it everything on the global block. And Steven Nelson leading Jesse Diggins into the final turn. Can Diggins answer? 
as the roars rattle around the cross-country stadium in Pyeongchang, Sweden, the U.S. and Norway coming to the line. Here comes Diggins! On Here the outside, Diggins making the play around Sweden. Yes! Jesse Diggins yes! to the line. Yes! And it is yes! Jesse Diggins Go! delivering a landmark moment that will be etched in U.S. Olympic <laughs> history. If you can't lose your mind a bit, I got about, goosebumps. Yeah, it's like this guy loves cross country skiing, and he thought he'd never see it. My son and I, for a week after that, were saying they've gassed out on the Klabobakken. Because <laughs> <laughs> what on earth is a Klabobakken? <laughs> I will not know. But uh, congratulations uh, to uh, the USA in uh, that cross country moment, and it was that was beautiful. A beautiful thing under the sun. Uh, uh, something very human. Something very triumphal like radford well the main topic we're looking at today is uh saint patrick's day and so um i just figured we'd share a little bit jesse of some of our impressions maybe growing up as kids or families or just in uh you know american culture related to the day that's named after saint patrick what what were your kind of impression yeah. stories as a young guy or even now so yeah i, I grew up also also grew up in a in an Irish family, so I've got an Italian side and an Irish side, and both are uh, very proud of their their heritage. And so, um, St. Patrick's Day for us was kind of this oh this fun like reminder that the Irish are the best. <laughs> it was, you know, you know. I think you'll reference this later, but there's there's the book, How the Irish Saved Civilization. Yes. Well, before that book was ever written, we believed it, right? right. So St. Patrick's Day was an excuse to celebrate and to, you know, all things Irish. And, uh, you know, we would, there was a lot of green beer and there yeah. was just even just a lot of beer that green. didn't have to be green. Green scrambled eggs. Yeah, green, we had green eggs, <laughs> yep. Um, we would, you know, hear the stories of uh, Patrick driving the snakes uh, out of Ireland, and um, what else? You got to wear green. Uh, let's see. Oh, oh, we'd also, you know, and and we did hear things about like Patrick teaching the Trinity Trinity through uh, through a clover. Yeah, and we're really not sure that ever happened, but it's a cool story. Right? Oh, it happened. It happened. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was just a fun kind of you know celebration, fun. Fun, fun reminder of how great it is to be Irish. Amen. My mother, um, my family comes from Monaghan County, uh, Ireland. And so uh, my mother, um, who her side was not the Irish side of her family, but comes from my dad. She always wanted to make sure we knew we were Irish. And so one of the funniest things that I've ever experienced, and I'm, I'm not using hyperbole there, was I have an actual friend who's from Cork, Ireland named uh, Kevin, who's in New Jersey. And we had both my mom and Kevin, I think it was one of the holidays, maybe Christmas Eve or something, you know, big feast, you know, you eating hams and turkeys kind of feast. And my mom was talking about how much she loved, uh, you know, Ireland and, and St. Patrick's Day and parades and all this stuff. And and then Kevin, who's from Cork, Cork Island, Ireland, uh, he just starts going off on my mom about how stupid American Irish traditions are. <laughs> he goes and he uses the, um, uh, um, the the F word as kind of a verbal hitch, and so he starts talking about the F and gray stupid sweaters that people wear. And my mom is looking like shocked, like she's, he's ruining her life. <laughs> and then my mom, who she is being awesome, she just says, "Well, I don't care what you say. I like all that stuff." And mm. so they had this little Irish war um at uh the dinner table but 
Um, there's a blog called Stuff White People Like. It used to be really popular. It's not as popular now, but this is a, a little quote from that. It says, on March 17th, however, the exact uh, same... Uh, oh, no, let me start a little earlier. And normally, if someone would wake up at 7 in the morning, take the day off work, and get drunk at a bar before 10 a.m., they would be called an alcoholic, and not the artistic, edgy way that white people are so fond of. On March 17th, however, the exact same activity is called celebrating St. Patrick's Day. This is a very special white holiday that recognizes St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland who helped to bring Catholicism to the Emerald Isle. His ascetic life, that means denial of self and indulgence, um, is celebrated every year by white people drinking large amounts of alcohol and Irish-themed alcohol and listening to the Dropkick Murphys. So anyway, there's a certain reality that St. Patrick himself has lost a bit in American culture today where people... I even saw commercials this week for certain types of whiskey, and they're like, it's a great, it's a holiday that's dedicated to drinking. And unfortunately, that's not uh, the story of the one who's celebrated there. Now, the one thing that I do want to, uh, in a commercial sense, I do want to advocate for before we move into some of St. Patrick's life, I want to advocate that Reese's would get their act together and make a Reese's peanut butter shamrock because they got it for everything else. They got eggs, that's hearts, right. pumpkins. You think they do? Maybe in Ireland? I don't know. They need to. It's a it's a it's a gap in their mm. product line. They need a skew for um, uh, uh, Reese's peanut butter shamrocks. Well, I'm sure uh, they're listening. Four so. leaf clovers full of peanut butter. Because yeah, they're not listening. <laughs> but hopefully, my mom is. Hi, mom. Well, St. Patrick. Um, I, I, a few years ago, um, I did some thinking about him. I was reading some books. I get in these ruts. Uh, no, no pun intended. Uh, that are that are kind of where I get into it. Like right now I'm reading books surrounding Dunkirk and the Battle of Britain because I saw the movie Dunkirk, so I've read mm. like three books on it. And I got into this Irish kick where I was reading, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Saved Civilization, which is just true. Um, <laughs> and then I started reading uh, Philip Freeman's St. Patrick of Ireland's uh, biography uh, and certainly the blog stuff white people like. So I was learning a lot, so I said, you know, I'm going to systematize this and try to put together a little bit of something in my own kind of terrible writing style about uh, St. Patrick. And so I do think there's a lot um, that we can learn from this person. And so the, the, I think the most ironic thing that a lot of people uh, don't know is that um, Patrick himself was not properly Irish <gasps> at, at all, right? Um, he, was, he was born a Roman citizen in Britain. So he's a Briton guy uh, who became, um, became Irish and definitively changed the Irish culture. But born in the 4th century, like so 300 AD, was son of a, a Christian nobleman and a deacon in the church named Calpornius. Now, he was one of those guys that came from a family that had faith in Jesus and certainly was part of the church and would have been instructed in certain, uh, and educated in classical learning styles and such, but he himself was pretty clear about him, his, his own faith in his, in his younger years, that he was an atheist in his youth. So he was a guy that actually uh, lived in a time that was a little bit crazy. It was after, you know, during and after and through the fall of the Roman Empire. That's right. You know, I, I find it I think I grew up thinking Patrick was much more of a modern saint than, say, 
Saint Augustine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, they're really contemporaries, right? Yeah, you very know? ancient. Yeah, and in <laughs> yeah. different places. But ha- this is all happening around the same time, the fall of Rome, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of you know just crazy stuff happening on the borders of what people would call in that day civilization and what they called barbarians. You know, certainly the the Celtic people. I know, no, you know that's the proper pronunciation, not the Boston Celtics, but the Celtic people. Many times there would be raiders that would come and ships and carry people off and make slaves. And um, and and Rome was at the time couldn't couldn't really affect this or couldn't change this reality of this kind of slave raiding and taking and hoarding off. And so. Uh, Patrick, who was a Roman citizen and a Briton, was actually taken as a slave uh, to to Ireland right, by the Celts. And now they were a harsh people. Now, Celtic is an interesting thing because it's not like, hey, he's, uh, you know, Swedish or something. The Celts were kind of a, a broad culture. You know, they had certain aspects to society. So Celtic-type peoples existed all throughout Europe. Um, and they were an interesting people. They were very, you know, kind of family-oriented and clan-oriented and, and uh, patchwork of people uh, in the island. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about them is that they were a very violent, uh, warring people. And so many times the, the, the Romans would co- uh, comment on this, the battle practices of these people. And this is just a quote uh, describing them from Thomas Cahill's How the Irish Saved Civilization. He said, the Romans in their first encounters with these exposed in insane warriors many times they would fight like butt naked yeah they had like a, a warrior necklace on yeah and that's it and just going in yeah man, you know so p- picture these muscled up crazy white guys running at you butt naked um so when they first encountered them uh the romans you know who are disciplined military culture were shocked and frightened uh, not only were they naked they were howling seemingly possessed by demons their strength was outrageous they could fight all night for all forever they were urged on by you know certain types of music uh, that really just freaked out uh, the, the yeah. Roman people. In fact, they described it as a, a sensorium that was some sort of a multi-sensory event uh, feet, that feet, that kind of reminded them of the terrors of, of of hell. So it was this time that that Patrick was taken as a slave and would live under a life just of servitude. You know, he would have to live basically in a, a very meager kind of setting and. His his role was, uh, you know, particularly mundane. Uh, took care role. of sheep took or something. Sheep. It yeah, wasn't it was... he sold to a uh, like a local shaman or druid priest yeah, or something. Yeah, druid priest. He said, "Hey, dude, you go out on the hill and you keep the sheep, right? You guard them from wolves. You have to bring them back to safety." Uh, and he was in slavery six y- six years, right, in northwestern Ireland. Very cold climate. You know, basically would live in a, a meager kind of shed like kind of existence uh, where he would sleep, and so. It was during this time uh, that he recounted this. This is from uh, Patrick's own confessions, which which can be found online as well. He says, But after I reached Ireland, I used to pasture a flock each day, and I uh, used to pray many times throughout the day. More and more uh, did the love of God and my fear of Him and faith increased, and my spirit was moved so that in a day, I said, from one of the hundreds of prayers I would say in solitude, uh, besides, I used to stay out in the forests and the mountains, and I would wake up before daylight to pray in the snow and the icy coldness in the rain. I used to feel neither ill nor slothfulness, because, as I now see, the Spirit of God was beginning to burn in me at that time. And so here's a guy who grew up and really didn't accept the faith of his fathers, but when he was isolated, and it was probably a, you know, a terrible circumstance of, of any, any of our understanding, he began to talk with God, pray, and, and sense the presence of God working in him. And, and, and most people would say this was the time of his conversion, uh, that he actually uh, became a believer. Now, 
he recounts that he had a dream and he heard a voice speaking that said, hey, you will do uh, well to fast soon. You will depart for your home country. And so he he believes that he was prompted by the Spirit of God to flee from his captivity and go back home. And so um, well, I'll spare you the details today, but uh, he, he basically finds a ship and makes it back home to uh, to Britain. Now, the interesting thing uh, is that when he's there, he's really wrestling with uh, what he's to do to his life. He's now um, a Christian. He begins to study theology. Um, he was a little young, so he couldn't become a priest yet, so he became a deacon. He learned to serve others at the time, and eventually he would become uh, a priest and a bishop. And so his mission then became what he sensed, and in an ironic twist of affairs providentially, certainly not lucky, um, he, he sensed a, a call to go back to the people of Ireland, these berserker, crazy, you know, pagan, druid kind of religious folks, and he wanted to go um, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who would listen to him. And so one of the things in his own heart, he, he forgave the people who took him as a slave, um, and his concern for, for them was just, uh, just quite beautiful. This is, again, from his confessions. He says, But it is the women kept in slavery who suffer the most, who keeps their spirits up by menacing and terrorizing uh, all that they must endure. The Lord gives grace to his many handmaidens, and though they are forbidden to do so, they follow him with backbone. Hmm. So uh, he also, his you know, concern for women was certainly uh, outstanding for yeah. that time in history. So you can learn a lot from uh, Patrick and his methodology, but one of the things he did was that he embedded himself holistically in community. Um, he didn't view mission to people, well, let me go teach theology um, in kind of a, dis, a, dis, a way that was disconnected from the everyday life of these clan people. Uh, what he actually would do, and this is described well in, in the book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism by... Um, uh, George Hunter, I think you have that book yeah. with us today, um, but he had a very incarnational view um, of how of how to engage with people, and so he would be on the ground with them in their communities and alongside of them in their everyday work. He would set up schools to help uh, teach, and uh, people began to convert in this culture. Yeah, as a guy who's, you know, I'm always thinking about training church planters. Uh, I was really fascinated with his 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 really his church planting model of he he when he went back, he brought a team, yep. and that team would then live in the in the culture and uh, and begin to have relationships and and they spoke the the common language and and then he would leave you know a couple people behind to plant the church just to to be priests to the people and move on and do the same thing from uh, you know from really from tribe to tribe. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really interesting. Living in Christian community amongst those who worshipped different gods was very much their practice. And I think in our society, in Western civilization today, we have a lot to learn out of. We were surrounded uh, in in every culture by people that worship other things, whether they be formalized religious deities that we think of in a, a, tr- a traditional way of worshiping, or or a world that worships power or money or ego. And all the things, say, for in our, that our culture is drenched in. Um, we live together in Christian community um, and then speak the gospel to people who are living around us in different ways. And, you know, the, the, thing, the other thing that the, the, these Irish Christians, as they began to convert, um, they were very faithful to the, you know, say, what we call the Orthodox teachings of the Bible, the early creeds of the faith, but they lived out their faith 
uh, very close to the life of the Celts. Like, for instance, they were very... A lot of his writings have a lot to do with nature, yeah. right? Um, and, to, and to communicate to a people that literally worship nature and were very close to the land and the, and the environment. Um, the, the idea that God, the Creator, the triune God, uh, the one who made all this thing, would walk with them in creation uh, was something that they didn't... Uh, they, they mined the deep traditions of biblical faith and then applied it to people in a specific context that really made sense for the people and culture. Uh, theology for them was practical, right? Um, uh, you know, whether or not he taught uh, the Trinity using uh, the shamrock or, or not. Um, it, do, it does accord with his style of teaching, it, though, doesn't it? It, it? absolutely does, yeah. and I think that's a way it survived uh, their methodology of very being very in nature, yeah. in nature, even we might say. Um, now, the interesting thing about uh, the Irish at this time is that you know, as Rome fell, you know, throughout the the, the next century and the chaos that ensued and all that would emerge, um, a lot uh, that was uh, handed down to say Western civilization from uh, Gre- the Greeks uh, and the Romans, classical learning. Um, the interesting thing was that Irish monks actually kept this learning uh, alive. And so the, one of the interesting things of history is that the turn of this bar- barbarous people, you know, the berserker running butt naked across the field to kill you, right, with his flutes and stuff playing in the background like you're in a techno multimedia death show, right? Uh, they many times would take the vanquished person that they, you know, they defeat another tribe or whatever, they would cut their heads off. Yeah and literally tie them around their waist and carry them as kind of trophies. And so uh, the really uh, interesting part of history, within a, you know, a century or two, the Irish became a, a, a nation that had many monks. And you'll see this, like in, say, even popular representations, maybe in cartoons or movies of monks, that they're, they got something tied around their waist, and there's a little book hanging off of uh, their waist. And so you really had a people that went from carrying the heads of their enemies to carrying Bibles and books and literature. And Cahill's thesis, which I think bears out uh, fantastically, and it's very true, was that the Irish kept the uh, classical learning from Europe alive while it went through kind of a chaotic uh, uh, situation so that uh, these great texts, both from uh, the early church and certainly philosophical traditions of the West, were kept alive by the copying work of berserker Irish monks turned into uh, priests, as it were. You know, I was... I've been thinking about this this week, you know, St. Patrick and, and this whole kind of what happened there. And uh, in light of um, Rod Dreher's book, right, The Benedict Option, where he's making the argument that uh, that, that Christians should, in, in a sense, um, you know, withdrawal may not be, it may be embed in a, in a really tight-knit kind of cloistered life within the culture so that as the culture falls like Rome... Uh, that there's a rebirth through the Benedictine sort of model. Uh, I, I have not, I'm, it doesn't settle well with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, this, <laughs> this, the, 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 the picture of the, the, the monasteries that Patrick and his followers established in yeah. Ireland is such a better model, I think. Yes. So even yes. the, even the, the physical spaces where they create this, this uh, ordered but uh, connected to the land and connected to the people, uh, cultures and, and then, and then there, uh, Hunter in his book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, calls them um, 
uh, boundary spaces, that they're yeah. the boundaries between the church and culture. There's a, there's a flow in and out. There's yeah. a sense in which we're saying, no, the community happens here. Come in. Um, they gave pride of place to visitors. So if you were a guest, often the guest house was the best place in the spot, that people were, were, were working side by side. In fact, he makes the case that if you wanted to be alone, you had to leave the monastery. You, you, you didn't go in there to have your quiet, you right, know, right. retreat. Yeah. You, you, you went into the monastery to, to connect with people and work side by side, and they were, you know, transferring, you know, beautiful artwork, and they were, you know, copying, rotting uh, papyri, you know, right, and they were right. copying, rotting books. And, right, right, books that would have been lost completely. Yep. And Jesse, uh, just <laughs> Jesse said, Rod Dreher's the Benedict option, and, and I, inside I'm going, oh no, what are we going to say? We have never discussed that. We have not. And I had no idea what you thought about it. And so I'm glad you did not offer it as the best option forward for Christians today. Because I think I, it, I think it's interesting. It's yeah. it's worth engaging it's interesting with in the sense that okay, let's pull aside, preserve our traditions, preserve learn. The problem with it is right, and I think you you nail it when you're looking at the the Celtic way. Uh, these Christians that were converted in Ireland is that we're not called to cloister out from the world for the sake of just doing that to survive and keep our stuff. Right. We're we're to set up that cloister right in the world or set up the church in the world for the sake of the world. Uh, my friend Doug Logan, he's written a book called On the Block. And so in, in his these obviously he's work he was working in the He's up in Jersey. Of, yeah, he was in uh, Inner City Camden at the time he wrote that book. Um, but the church as in Ireland as on the blog, uh, should be that place where people and culture pass in and out. I might even say, right, that we should exist on the borderlands uh, between church and culture. The church that, should, that has a good ring to yeah, it. It kind of has a good ring to it. The church, as a community, is countercultural within the culture. Yeah. So it has to have that distinctiveness, saltiness. Jesus might teach us. Uh, and well, the city on a hill yeah. is on the hill to draw people. You know, people are wandering in the dark in this in Jesus's picture of the Sermon on the Mount, and and they see the light of the city and they're drawn to right, it. And this right. is where life happens. Life, safety, safety. You get a drink yeah. of water. Right. It's like I'm tired. I'm and out some here green the dark beer. Yeah, some green beer. And some Once a year, green scrambled eggs. Um, so yeah, the Celtic way. You know, you set up this community within the community, um, not there to hurl rocks at the community or. Or because you know, you probably die, they'll you know come berserk on you or something. But but to love those people in the world that are very far from God and worshiping everything but and doing heinous things, um, they eventually will see your light and give praise to your Father who's yeah. in heaven, uh, as Jesus taught us in Matthew five sixteen. So there's much more, right? With Saint Patrick, and we're not. You need to. to you need to write the uh, the Patrick option. <laughs> the the pat the, the pat, patrine pat, the patri well, How do you say that? Patrician. Patrician option. Yeah, Patricus. It's just called Patrick. Yeah. Patrick's option. You know, one of the best things I think that happened uh, for Patrick, not not only uh, becoming a believer, uh, but his Roman name compared to his uh, childhood name of Maywin Sukit. Uh, I think Patrick. Patrick. Has, Patrick's gonna. See. It's a little bit of an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, um, this Saturday, uh, March 17th, is St. Patrick's right. Day. And one of the things we have in our society that I believe is that we celebrate our holidays now, and many people, right, in our culture celebrate nothing uh, on days named for substantially wonderful people. And so uh, this, uh, this Saturday, as you think of Patrick, think of the one who was found by God as a slave, 
was converted and went back to the enslaver yeah. to love them in Jesus' name and saw a community transformed by setting up countercultural communities of grace, gospel communities of grace within the darkest worlds we can imagine. And so yeah. uh, that is applicable on the block. It is applicable in the, in the academy. It is applicable in the suburbs. It is applicable anywhere on the earth. And I do think uh, we have many models from church history that we can look at people who lived faithfully in the midst of all manners of societies, political realms, and regimes uh, to faithfully proclaim the ultimate regime, uh, Jesus Christ, kingdom of heaven, coming king of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. And you know, you didn't mention this. I, well, you mentioned that you wrote you wrote something on Patrick, but you didn't mention that that there you can you can go on powerofchange.org and find that. I'm sure Reed will put that in the notes. I assume it's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I. It's I. Um, yeah, I, I may read it to my kids on Saturday. Yeah. Hey, there you go. That's an idea. Uh, we we are the gospel underground. We are not the self promoting podcast. In fact, uh, we're trying to do things in such a way that uh, we will forget to share our our wares. Um, it's free, though, right? It's free. free yeah, you can away. share free stuff. Uh, I wrote it for uh, a gospel community on mission. I wrote it for people uh, in New Jersey in our church. They, a lot of uh, Roman Catholics around that, you know, St. Patrick's is a given, and I was able to share that uh, with folks, and it's there for you. If you go to powerchange.org and just search for it, or Patrick of Ireland, Ireland Reed Monahan on Google, I should come up pretty pretty high on the top there. And so. settle this for me. Um, did Patrick really drive the snakes out of Ireland? Well, you know, you know, in terms of um, paleontology, in terms of our, our understanding of the I- island, they're, they're, we've not found evidence of snakes in that area. Uh, so they were either long, long gone, way prior to him, or or he, he didn't do it. Now, you know, maybe that's another thing that's come down through his history to say uh, metaphorically his uh, gospel work drove out uh, the devil uh, and certainly yeah. the, the, some of the evil practices of, of the Celtic religion. That's right. Certainly on the, the green isle. Now green is his color today. I think it was blue way back in the day. It's another weird fact of history, but Ireland is green and put some Reese cup dye in them green, mm. Reese shamrocks, and I will eat them. You got anything else for us, man? River dance? You want to river dance for us? No, uh, we'll do that after the show. Celtic clogging. It, it, is yeah. a, it is a fact of history. They say certain parts of, in the United States that were influenced by Irish immigrants have a certain type of dancing that you might you might associate with mountain people or some clogging. Oh, yeah. You can, you can go right right in our neighborhood, hey, right? right head, <laughs> you can head over it. to uh, Floyd, yeah. Virginia yeah. every Friday yeah. night for a little... Uh, little little clogging. A little, little, uh, that's right. Yeah, it's a descendant from the Irish uh, jigs. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, pop Irish culture, I guess, that uh, is traveled in, uh, but it is an interesting story of a people, and certainly their identity formed uh, by you know, the work of and all of the community that followed uh, St. Patrick. Now, we could go into, and we won't today, uh, the history of the Irish people, uh, but I will just say to all my Irish brethren, um, you do have a harsh history, man. You were you put down and beat down. Frederick Douglass uh, who, who once said of the Irish that he really recognized them as a people. Sadly, when they became to America, black people and Irish people were on the lowest rungs of the economic and employment status, and sadly some Irish people became very racist because of that, because kind of competing for scraps. My brothers, Irish brothers, it should not be. Well, Jesse, in the next few weeks, uh, we'll be back here on the underground. we got to have lots of things. I have an idea that I'd like to share with you. Um, 
I have an idea. I'm going to share two titles, um, uh, Woke, Too Woke, or Broke. Uh, that's one a title for a podcast I'm thinking about. Or wow. Woke, Too Woke, uh, or Asleep. Um, I kind of like the broke one, but uh, the idea... The broke one sounds better. It, it kind of has a preacher sound to yeah. it. Yeah. I'm going to play this out with some of my brothers, huh. see what they think. But I, I do want to discuss, um, particularly in our context, uh, wokeness in relationship to race and to wokeness, perhaps, or is that possible? Or brokeness. Uh, or just asleep. Sleepiness. Yeah, broke. So that might good, be coming up good. here okay. in the next few weeks. Uh, and then anything uh, you guys want to talk? We did have a, a, a feedback note. Did you did you uh, want to comment on that? We we Jesse and I debated uh, last oh, time Lord. about whether the meet and greet time before church. In fact, this Sunday at church, we got there a couple minutes late, and I just looked to the hey, right, and Jesse was standing next to me. I was like, <laughs> I said, "Hey, man, did, did I come, come late, late enough to miss the greeting time?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nope, nope. Because now we waited for you. Reed. It was unleashed literally a, a second after I said, "Hey, we waited for you." Yeah. So I said, "Hello," because I didn't want you to miss that opportunity to welcome your neighbor. And I said hello to the guy in front of me. That's I right. Who yeah, is, who's your who's your buddy? Who yeah. uh, was it? Eric Brewhouse. Shout Eric. out Eric and, and what's he, up, Eric? He represented his wife's uh, voice, Rachel, as well. They hate the greeting time too. They they come a song late too to miss the awkward introvert meet and greet forced time but uh jesse wrote back and accused me of professionalizing yeah uh, yeah so i'm gonna do it right here on the air yeah. I, I here's i'm gonna take my argument back up okay yeah. uh don't, <laughs> i said you ought to have people that are good at talking to people do <laughs> greeting at the church yeah so here's what i'm saying is i think that you run the risk so sunday morning people come to church essentially to be entertained entertain right. me don't make me do anything right right do uh, it do it good do yeah. it do it good for me <laughs> yeah. i want to see a good sermon i want the you know i, I want the music to be with you the know, fog machine to come on at fog the machines time, and lasers. laser beams. Yeah. They've got to, you know. And so, what you're doing, I think, when you relegate greeting people, hospitality to the special elite extroverts, that's right, that's right, is you're removing the priesthood of all believers. You're saying, hey, you know, a regular person, uh, you're not very presentable. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you're kind of uncomfortable and awkward. I'm going to give you a pass on this or, or frankly, I don't want you representing our church to people. Right. Uh, I want people to come and have a really good kind of experience in their first time. And, and, and I think, I think it professionalizes things too much. Two classes of people, the greeters and then the non-greeters. Now, yeah. listen, we have greeters. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm all about having someone at the door saying, Hey, welcome to our, to our place. Welcome right, to our home. Right. Uh, but in the same way that like, if I'm hosting a party at my house, I'm going to be the one at the door welcoming people. I'm expecting that my other guests are going to stand up, shake hands, welcome the person yeah, in sure. so that it's not just I'm welcomed by this one person, but everyone here welcomes me. I receive that um, and I, I agree and I submit to that view. I, I really do think you can't you don't want to make everything clean and tidy. And so it feels plastic and fake for sure. But when we pick those greeters, hopefully it will be uh, people who like to talk to people, yeah. who, who won't say awkward, crazy things to them, are somewhat mature in their faith, uh, won't be debating about Donald Trump at the front door. That's right. Uh, pro or con. Know how to uh, know how to break off an intramural conversation. You know. Yeah. If it, you know. I, it, right. So they're you're, not going to ignore the visitor exactly. because they're talking about their kids with somebody they've known for fifteen yeah. years. And yeah. even knowing the right things to say, like not saying. Hey, is this your first time here? Yeah, I remember yeah. I got asked that like six years after I yeah. so started going to this mega church back, you know, in Northern Virginia. I said, no, I, I'm. It's like my four hundredth time yeah. here. Yeah, and you obviously don't love you, me, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know, 
Yeah, so I'm all for having good greeters. Yeah, so we have come to peace on the meet and greet time. I will still show up a song late and hopefully miss it. And uh, Jesse is. <laughs> we'll right just keep waiting for com- you. The community. I will say this, you know, another. as a result of that last podcast and our conversation uh, at our church, Valley Bible Church, I'm we're beginning to rethink not not whether we do it, but how we do it. How can we, you know, how can we? help it to be the least uncomfortable as possible for both new people and introverts, maybe particularly for those two categories. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and for all those Valley Bible Church leaders who are listening to the Gospel Underground, I would just say, maybe you can even say from up front, hey, if this... If you're an introvert, if you don't like just talking to straight, hey, you're you're okay. But just smile, say hello. Uh, we just want to make this place a warm family room for you to feel welcome. That's right. One of the things that we've done in the past is we've really stressed meet a new person uh, or someone you don't know. And what I'm starting to do now as a just so what I'm starting to do now is if you're introverted, you have a really hard time meeting new people and you have this one minute of awkwardness where it's like your church leaders are saying, go meet someone new. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably OK for you as an introvert to just talk to someone you already know and be happy and friendly yeah. because you're you are creating an environment. You're not it's not all up to you. And right. so. So it may not be the best opportunity for you to be, you know, missional in that one minute of, of yeah, uncomfortable time. Sure. So, so help create a sort of a hum of talking <laughs> and happiness and smiles and welcoming and shaking hands, and that's okay. You help create a good buzz in the room. And no, Craig, in Canada, that is not for you. No, no, no buzz. good buzzes. All right, man. Well, thank you guys for listening in today. We want to say thank you as always to Sugar in the High Lows for allowing us to license the song and see it for yourself. For our thing song, The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the global headquarters, Bonhoeffer House. Send your comments. Thanks, uh, Eric and Rachel. Feedback, questions you might have to us at info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands, maybe in Ireland, maybe on the block between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there. Peace.